Europe Justice Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter recently handed the Victorian Government a major report on child protection and youth justice. She says the two systems are completely broken for our people and are deeply rooted in the colonial foundations of the state. Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter, welcome back to Speaking Out. Thanks for having me. Now, last time you were with us, uh, you mentioned that there was a major report on child protection and justice about to be released by the Commission, and you would come back and talk to us about it. And true to your word, here you are. Before we get into the details of some of the findings, can you just describe the state of Victorian child protection and the criminal justice systems as you see it from your perspective? Oh, look, I've worked in child protection um, system and aroundabouts there with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children for about 20 years. And I believe I'm saying the same thing again and again. So the child protection system is getting worse. The system is uh, broken or, if you can put it another way, the system works perfectly the way it was intended to work. Uh, And the same is for um, the criminal justice system. It just does not work for our people. Um, and again, it's it's completely broken for our people. But again, it's intent it's intention of of um, I guess as it was originally intended. It's deeply rooted in the colonial foundations of the state, so it was intended to lock up our people or remove them. Uh, and the findings and the recommendations address that. Now, a lot of people think of child protection and the criminal justice systems as two separate systems. You work in them. I know you know that's not the case. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see the two systems being connected? Look, I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes, but for people that haven't heard, children enter the child protection system at a very, very young age. If not, Whilst they're in utero, they've been reported, so pre-birth notifications. It is, and what we found is a pipeline to the juvenile justice system and then straight through to adult prison. And we do call it a pipeline because unless there's really great interventions by amazing people and organisations, it's there's not a whole lot of hope for our children that have been removed at quite a young age, without the supports around them, that is where they end up in the criminal justice system. The systems are not set up, if you think about it, it's public parenting, it's not set up to support uh, our children culturally, physically, mentally, and particularly the intergenerational trauma that our families face. So let's move to the report. The Europe Commission has proposed 46 recommendations. What are some of the changes you'd like to see? So people understand there is 46, but it's broken down into two because we have First People's Assembly, which is negotiating a treaty with the state of Victoria. So we've broken them into two parts. And one section is that big systemic change about self-determination and uh, an overhaul of both systems and the other harms that are happening to our people now and that we need urgent change for. The recommendations really are about first people's having must-have decision-making power and authority and control. So they're the big ones and resources in the child protection and the criminal justice system that relate to them. So we we have control over that. There's recommendations around the age of criminal responsibility, uh, the minimum age of detention. We are looking at things to pre-birth notifications, looking at really addressing the systemic failures 
across the systems that continue to either remove our children from families or lock up at a disproportionate rate. And we're looking at the systems that don't work and that are biased towards First Peoples. Addressing both needs is quite complex because they both interact with each other. And it's really hard to, because we've had to really hone in on on certain issues. And one that's close to my heart is the unborn notifications. And we're double the rate of those of non-Aboriginal children of being reports being made. Even most recently, since the report, I've had someone ring me who said, can you help? I have child protection here and I'm about to give birth. This is real and happening now. And we need people to understand these recommendations need to be implemented so that our children don't end up in the adult prison system or even worse, dead, dare I say it. The report, as you say, is extensive, but it needs to be really to deal with the multifaceted impacts that both of these systems have on our lives. Just want to dig into a couple of other issues that are really critical, I think. Raising the age of criminal responsibility is one of the key recommendations. Can you explain a little bit about your reflections on why this is so important and what should the alternatives be to locking up children who are 14 years and under? So firstly, it's in the recommendations in line with international human rights standards and that's what our recommendation is based on. There is multitudes of evidence that seems to be ignored to say that locking children up at a young age does not assist with understanding and reasoning and the development of the brain, but also uh, the right for wrong. Do they understand right from wrong? These need a health response. No one is born innately criminal. There's another facet of listening to the stories is that unless you get a whole story and you understand all the facts Some of these should not have been criminal charges and so some of these children should not be locked up. And so the fact that we do lock children, and remember they are children, uh, so my daughter's uh, 13, that's like grade six, year seven, year eight. I just can't imagine what that does to a child, the trauma that it also brings, as well as the enormity of being removed again from family. And so we heard time and time again, and the evidence is really clear. It's a human rights issue, but we continue to do it. The other area, of course, um, that looks at important ways to prevent people going into the system in the first place, range of things that are that lead to criminal offending but are linked to poverty like homelessness, disability and mental health, your recommendations to decriminalise them. Just from your perspective, what impact would you hope that that would have, particularly on our First Nations people? We are, like, over-represented in, in the system So looking at a person holistically, there was a a lady gave us evidence that her first offence was at 28. This is a really good example. And when you unpack what that offence was, one was stealing a car and the other one was stealing a tent from Bunnings. The stealing of the tent from Bunnings was so they had somewhere to live. The stealing of the car was to get away from her partner from family violence And she took his car, so he rang up 
and she just took the car because she had to get away. She said if she didn't take that car, she would have probably not have survived. So if you look at both of those offences in context, and she was on remand in prison and unsentenced. If you take the whole context of why people and you take that into account that there was nowhere else to live, that she was fleeing family violence, that that's why the car was stolen, that's why she went to Bunnings to put a roof over her and her daughter's head. You take those into account, they're necessities that people just take for granted. And if we have a look at people's situations and we put in responses that adequately house, feed, home and keep people safe, they're unlikely to offend again. The other issue is that some people are still in prison um, and unable to get out because there is no housing for them. So there's nowhere to go, so they can't be released. There's a range and a multitude of issues, I think, that people in the public do not get a full picture of to understand why the people should not be, you know. They weren't saying they didn't do the crime. They clearly said they did, but it was out of necessity. And our mental health system is overburdened. And so some people, actually a lot of people, aren't being treated, particularly women in prison. Um, There was a woman that was there two years and hadn't seen a psychologist and all she could was screaming for help and still hadn't seen anybody. These are the issues that if we dealt with, society dealt with mental health, dealt with uh, family violence, they're all offshoots, but they all come back to a, a response that nurtures, protects and cares for our community and the safety of our people. I think if you've got all that in place, then you've pretty much got it right. Nobody's, you know, there shouldn't be offences because people are getting treated for their health needs. As you mentioned, there's um, a lot in the recommendations that covers ground where there's been a lot of advocacy, even repeats of recommendations back into the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody or the Bringing Them Home report. But the unique thing about this report is that it is the first time a government's been asked to respond to a reform agenda that's been put forward by its own truth-telling inquiries. It's a very unique space you've been working in. How do you hope they'll respond and what do you think might be different in terms of these recommendations to similar recommendations that have come through different avenues? Yeah, we're we're really aware of all those inquiries, of all those recommendations from other Royal Commissions, and we do take those into account. Some of this work is not new. Actually, a lot of it's not new. The difference with us is these recommendations go to the First People's Assembly of Victoria, who will negotiate these into a treaty. They can also help push them forward. And so that's something new and something different rather than just going to the governor. The other, I guess the other point is that this was set up by the government and we have had a change of Premier in the meantime. They have been open and willing. You know, they've admitted that the design of these systems is not adequate. Dan Andrews did say there'd be an overhaul. You know, it's imperative that the Premier, the current Premier, Jacinta Allen, that her government continue to build on this progress. And and now people cannot afford anything less, particularly with the high rates. And, and I'm not sure if people are aware, Victoria has the worst rate in the country of out-of-home care. So from 2013 to 2022, it increased from 922 children in care to 2,595 children and increasing. So this is imperative that the government pick up 
these recommendations, that they take them seriously and they implement them. There's many ways in which Victoria as a jurisdiction is ahead of other states, particularly in relation to having a truth-telling process and being well down the pathway towards a treaty process and have had, and setting up a representative body within the state, which you have with the Assembly. I was just wondering what your reflections are in terms of how you see these processes developing uh, and the leadership in this area continuing in light of the result of the recent federal referenda uh, on the voice to parliament, which of course failed. I, I guess for us, while the the nation, I guess understandably, had been focusing on the voice, we've been continuing our work to investigate, you know, the systemic uh, injustices faced by First Peoples, and and we feel at Uruk that that work is more important than ever right now. To continue that work, we are continually speaking with government, and we will continually push our recommendations forward, and we will ask our people who are so have been so kind and brave and generous to tell us their truths. We will continue to do this because it's so important right now and all we can continue to do is ask government, continue to ask government to listen to these voices in Victoria and implement these recommendations. Well, speaking of that ongoing work, Yorok um, started an inquiry into land, sky and waters. What can you tell us about this? It is really exciting for us. We're looking at the injustices, people telling their stories. So we're about to embark on roundtables with traditional owners across the state, have a look at the aspects of how First Peoples were disposed of their lands, including um, through state like sanctions and policies and laws. We will be looking at massacres and, and other violences that happened during that time. The past and present benefits obtained by the colonising state other entities, uh, landholders and settlers through the, the dispossession of First Peoples of their country. Also the taking, the misappropriation and destruction of cultural knowledge and the heritage. We want to look at the strengths as well. So how, as First Peoples, we have maintained the cultural connection to the country despite everything that happened and despite the attempts to, to suppress our culture. So we'll be looking at a, a range of uh, issues that that uh, come along with that. It, it's quite big. Again, our mandate's from 1788 to current. Uh, and you're covering land, sky and water, so that's pretty big too. Oh, it's it's massive. As I understand it, uh, people can make submissions until November 18. How do you then, with such a, a large scope, such large areas to cover, a phenomenal amount of First Nations experience and observation, how does the Commission then start to work through the evidence that comes before it? So I guess we'll pretty much do what we've done with the other report is what are the harms happening now? So what are things we can do now to assist First Peoples? And then what are those bigger term issues, which again will go to the treaty process. For now, I, I guess we can only encourage people to come forward and tell their truth because they're, they're our lines of inquiry. Those injustices are the lines of inquiry. Our first step is to speak to traditional owners across the state. I think we've already got lined up about 20 roundtables. I'm actually off after this to, to one of the roundtables. And speaking about what, what are their issues, you know, we can't look at individual cases, but what we can look at is, is the systemic laws, policies, practices that have happened and still are happening and what needs to change with those. So it is, look, it's a big scope 
scope and there's a lot in there and we will have to determine we've got the strong enough evidence to make recommendations on what we possibly can. Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter, thank you so much for all the work you're doing for your tireless energy and I hope you'll continue to come back and keep us updated on the really important and quite groundbreaking work that you're leading in Victoria. Yeah, I definitely will and I am going to give us a a plug on our website because that's where you can make submissions or you can watch any of our, read any of our documents or watch any of our hearings. So it's YWRRRK justicecommission.org.au and I just encourage people to have a look because I think we're already doing it here in Victoria and if you're not from Victoria you can have a look and it's it's uh, it'll show you exactly what the truth process looks like and how we can move forward. Thank you. That's Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter of the Uruk Justice Commission in Victoria.